0: Hi everyone and welcome to the B2B Marketing Podcast. My name is David Rowlands, I'm the Senior Editor at B2B Marketing and I'm joined today by David Turner, who is CMO and Growth Champion at Iris. So David, thank you for joining me today. Um, Before we begin, can you please just tell us a little bit about Iris Software and your role at the company?
1: Sure, yeah, Um, thanks David, it's great to to be on. Um, Iris Software is one of the largest uh, privately owned software companies in the UK. Um, and uh, it's also a very fast-growing and, and innovative company, although I'll be honest, you know, it's not always on a lot of people's radars. Um, but uh, we provide software um, that is uh, kind of business-critical for our customers uh, and kind of solves their day-to-day problems of running their organizations. Um, there's three main focuses, three main audiences for our solutions. Accountants, accountants in practice, for whom we provide compliance software, uh, productivity, and advisory support. Um, so 24,000 accountancy practices in the UK use um, use our software, and about 91 of the top 100, uh, as well as uh, about uh, more than half of the top 100 in North America, which is one of our new and expanding markets. Um, our second market is schools and educational institutions for... Um, children up to the age of 18. So that's nurseries, preschools, schools, infant and junior schools. Uh, And we basically there provide systems to run the whole school, everything from kind of biosecure entry in the morning when they come in, to cashless catering, to management information systems, to the parental engagement sort of software where they can send messages home to say there's a snowstorm or little Johnny's had um, had an accident. Uh, and even things like video parents' evening software, which is something that, as you can imagine, has been in, um, has been used significantly over the last few years during COVID. Um, and then the third market for us is is it more of a horizontal market. It's HR and payroll um, software. So uh, all for all organisations from very small SMEs up to large enterprises. Um, and our sort of claim to fame there is about one in five UK employees is paid through one of our payroll systems. Uh, and around a, a million employees in the UK are managed by um, one of our HR solutions. So um, we've got quite a big reach, as I say, for a company which um, at first take a lot of people don't kind of can't place us. Um, we're also ranked to the top ten in the top 10 best places to work in tech. Uh, in the UK, and also in the top 25 best workplaces for women in the UK, which we're very proud of, and we have a female CEO as well, who's very uh, a very inspiring leader. Um, as for my role, uh, I've been in B two B marketing, in software marketing, actually, for for 30 years, crikey, um, and uh, since the early 90s, working for companies like Coda, which was a UK based um, global accounting software company. Um, for uh, Unit 4 Um, I was uh, head of marketing there and actually created the brand Unit 4 across the whole group back in uh, about 2010 Um, worked for NetSuite uh, another well known SaaS organisation and part of the management team that grew that company from just being in the UK to being right across the whole of EMEA Uh, and then uh, yeah landed here uh, in Iris just about a year ago, actually. Um, and the role here was to um, take on the marketing team to kind of reinvent it. It had um, lost its way a bit. I think it was a bit um, poorly structured, um, not really fit for for the modern day, if I'm honest, uh, not very digitally focused. And uh, uh, we had a lot to do in terms of uh, refocusing the team and and uh, and what we were doing. So I've been doing that for the last year, really restructuring the team and um, putting in place an organisation that can
0: that can support the company and its growth ambitions. Fantastic. So on that point of uh, of growth, um, each year B two B marketing creates a piece of research that we call a trend tracker. Um, And basically all this is, is it's a survey of hundreds of agency side and client side marketers in which we ask how focused they're going to be on a selection of topics over the course of the next 12 months. So, you know, that could be things like ABM, CX, um, so on. Um, And last year, growth marketing actually emerged as the number one thing um, that marketers were focused on the year ahead. However, I think it's, you know, as we all sort of know, the definition of growth marketing isn't always entirely clear and it kind of depends on, you know, depending on who you ask. So David, as a self-proclaimed growth champion, um, what is growth marketing to you and how can marketers actually incorporate this strategy or or mindset into their marketing? Um, It's an interesting one. I'll I'll,
1: I'll give you an admission about that title in a minute um, because it probably doesn't quite mean, wasn't put there for quite the reason you think. But uh, I mean, I think growth. When I look at the, the discussion about growth marketing, I think, crikey, most of this is I mean, I've been doing growth marketing all my career, really, because I've always worked for small, very fast-growing companies, um, or medium-sized, fast-growing companies. Um, but I think um, the sort of whole thing around gro- you know, growth hacking, growth marketing today, I think is around an acknowledgement of the role that marketing can play today in growing companies. And um, you know, because a lot of growth uh, in B2B organizations is coming from um, you know, driving customers into the organization sort of through inbound marketing, through digital techniques, um, using web and uh, and sort of, you know, all the tools that we kind of use today and, and trying to create very high volume um, demand generation machines, I think, is a lot of that. Um, I do think there's also an aspect of it which is around marketing being very much integrated and, and and working across the organization for that growth. So it's not just marketing generating lots of leads. It's about marketing being, I think, at the heart, probably the engine of growth within the organization, but working hand in hand with all the other parts of the organization from, you know, development, from product marketing through obviously sales, but right through into customer success and and support and and You know all the kind of operational parts of the organisation and working kind of in tandem with those, and I think uh, that's—I certainly think that's essential for um, success in growth marketing. From that point of view, I kind of feel like that is the approach I've always had my whole career. I've always been—I've never seen myself as just a silo of marketing. I've always worked really closely with sales, but also closely closely with the whole organisation because I think it's the only way to be to be really successful um just the point on why 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 have i got growth champion in my title i'll be honest we we um we launched a big campaign just a few months ago called um time to grow uh it's actually uh sort of uh a, it was inspired by the government's um campaign which was called um crikey not time to grow it was called uh help to grow sorry and uh which was supporting um, firms to become more digitalized. And it was it was a it's a great campaign, but quite a narrow focus for, for what the government did. And we decided we would take that much bigger. So in fact, what we've done is we, we're offering right now uh, kind of 50% off all of our software um, uh, up to a, a £5,000 value to help SMEs grow and, and, and get sort of digitalized their organizations. So as part of that, we instigated a whole load of activities and organizations around growth and how we help SMEs grow and sort of so I added that kind of growth champion on because um, you know I, I've, I've had a lot of experience in growing organizations that I've described I've also actually run SMEs including my own organization my own companies on a very small scale so I'm kind of able to relate to to the challenges of running SMEs and so that's actually why my title says growth champion it's not so much um, around jumping on the bandwagon of growth marketing, but it was around uh, reflecting that work we're doing, helping SMEs to grow.
0: Okay, fantastic. And just a note to our audience, say that the 2022 version of the Trend Tracker is actually gonna be released very soon. So um, keep your eyes out for this year's findings. It's also worth noting that if growth marketing is something that anyone uh, listening is, is really interested in this year, then it might be worth checking out Propolis um, by following the link in the description. Um, Propolis is our exclusive community group where marketers can come together, learn from one another, get advice from our hand-picked marketing experts and access our best research pieces. Um, It's broken into eight hives or or groups. um, And one of these is entirely dedicated to growth. Uh, It's moderated by uh, industry expert Robert Norham. So if that's something you're interested in, just follow the link in the description. But David, moving on, um, what are the main challenges you're facing at Iris from a marketing point of view? And how do you actually intend to overcome these challenges?
1: Yeah, I think um there were sort of three three main areas uh, of focus. I mean, um one of them I kind of referred to I think briefly which is that um not many people have heard of Iris. Um Iris Iris has been around for over 40 years actually. It's one of the you know kind of um very early uh, that band of sort of early UK software companies from the um, sort of early '80s, late '70s, early '80s, um, and it was very—it was always focused on accountancy practices, which is why that's still a very core part of that business. Um, but over the last uh, five to ten years, it's grown considerably, particularly with private equity um, support that we now have um, to get into areas like schools, as I mentioned, and, and then the HR and payroll and so on. So, grown considerably by acquisition and and um, just organic growth as well but but as i say the bottom line is people people don't really know who we are and if they do know who we are they probably don't know what we what we are um, because they might remember that we do some sort of accounting compliance stuff which is where we started but we now have this huge as i as i explained broad reach right across the british economy and right across other economies around the world as well now so building the brand but kind of building the brand whilst also, to be honest, generating leads, because we're a very sales focused company. We're very growth focused and we're private equity backed, as I just referred to, and therefore they, they, they want to see us continuing to grow. Um, so that's sort of challenge number one. Um, challenge number two was around the digi- digital journey. Um, as I, I sort of referred to again, you know, the, the team that we had in place and the way we were working was a bit too traditional. Um, and we needed to focus on the whole digital journey, on how 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 we were getting our name out there, how organisations, how people were approaching us, um, and that whole journey of them coming into the organisation, learning about our products, learning about the company, and then engaging with us in a digital fashion. Uh, that was not great, uh, and I'll be honest, that's, that is a journey that we're on at the moment. It's certainly not uh, not completed, and probably will never be complete. Um, and then the, the third one, which is sort of related again, is direct versus sales. And what I mean by that is we have a number of SaaS products nowadays now um, in, across a number of our markets which are sold directly, i.e. no touch. Um, people come in, they they engage, they might tr- trial the product, they might watch videos and so on, and then they can actually uh, buy online and, and uh, provision the product directly so in fact those direct products are run and owned by marketing we own that whole journey and and we own the pnl i own the pnl for those products Um, versus our more substantial products and some of our more traditional products as well and the enterprise products which are sold very much through a sales team and so um that whole interplay how we manage those different journeys and also there's a there's a there's a sort of transition area with some products where you know, some customers are happy to buy direct, i.e. without talking to a human. Um, sometimes, however, they do want to interact and then it's around, do they want to interact via, or are they happy to interact via chat bot? Are they happy to interact uh, through some sort of online chat facility with a human? Uh, do they want to have a phone call or whatever, or do they want to have a face-to-face meeting and it's a six month engagement because it's an enterprise? Uh, opportunity. So that's the sort of third area that we've been doing quite a lot of work. in.
0: Sure thing. And, you know, it's no secret that we're seeing an explosion in MarTech tools available on the market right now. You know, you've only got to look at the the infamous Scott Brinker infographic that we all know. Um, But from your point of view, should marketers come up with their strategy first and then find the right tools for the job? Or should they actually consider certain benefits that um, some technologies might offer? Because I can think that, you know, something like AI sounds very glamorous, and it could make a huge impact on your strategy. But it's probably not, you know, in that widespread use currently.
1: Yeah, I mean, I, I my my thoughts are always that you should get the strategy right first. I think, or get the get the strategy first, um, because um, it's all too easy to get um, sort of diverted. Uh, you get your attention diverted by exciting kind of tools and shiny new things. And let's face it, we all love that as marketers, don't we? Um, and, uh, you know, there's a danger with that that you go off in a direction that um, that takes you, um, you know, maybe down a blind alley or the wrong way. That's not to say you shouldn't explore those, those sort of things. And uh, look, AI, before I joined Iris, actually, I was a, a, a small French AI company. Um, which was doing some fantastic stuff, and so I'm I'm really excited by AI and the potential for it, um, as well as you know there's loads of other areas of martech that can take you into all sorts of areas. But I think I think you need to have a strategy set as that kind of that overall guiding um, kind of principles that you know where you want to go and what you want to achieve. Within that, of course, you want to have flexibility to absolutely to explore. What's the latest technology, or what could you do with something like AI? What could you do with, you know, some of the other MarTech technologies that are around to help you, um, you know, to, to open up a new market or open up a new approach? However, ultimately, that needs to be guided, I think, or it needs to be building towards you achieving your strategic aims. Uh, on the AI front, for example, we actually have an in-house. Um, Guru, I would say he's he's a really interesting character who's who's an AI specialist who actually HG kind of um, who who own um, who own Iris um, kind of dropped in um, because he's got a brain the size of a planet and um, can do all sorts of exciting things and he's he's been doing some fantastic stuff with AI with us um, around sales and sales enablement and supporting the sales team and, and I'm talking to him now about uh, marketing forecasting actually which is a, a bit of a hobby horse of mine because we need to get much better at forecasting what we're doing. And I think AI could play a really exciting role in that.
0: Okay, fantastic. So just glancing at the IRIS website, and I can see that you obviously provide a host of different products and solutions, ranging from education, to hospitality, small businesses to large, um, accountancy through to biometric systems. Um, You know, when you've got that many things to offer as a company, how do you actually ensure that you've got a cohesive aligned marketing and business strategy, or is that even possible? You know, do you almost have to take each solution or industry as a, a completely separate entity?
1: Yeah. I mean, look, a year ago when I looked at the, or, you know, just before I joined the company, I looked at the website. It, it kind of reminded me of an Argos catalog of kind of software products. There are, there are a lot of products and, and uh, um, I, I, We've still got, that's a still a work in progress in terms of improving that, I have to say. But but I think, uh, yeah, how do you think about this? I mean, I've come from a, a company, the last two companies that, including I mentioned NetSuite, which is effectively a single product company, single product across the world, everyone using the same version of it, beautifully sort of simple, simple from that point of view. Um, coming to a, a place like this, which, I mean, we have... We have a lot of products, but about 60 or 70 products that are our core products. <laughs> in inverted commas. Um, and um, that does present a challenge. But but how do you start? My belief, and look, it's my belief across all marketing, is it starts with the customer. So the way we think about and this is something I brought in, um, not like it's rocket science, but this is what I kind of introduced with with the, with the team was very much just to build the team and the focus around the customer. So, you know, we, we, go to, we go to market by sector now. I, I mentioned those kind of three sector focuses we have. You know, we have an accountancy marketing team and we think about them and we think about the challenges that they have in accountancy and the potential solutions for that through technology. And we talk to them about those challenges and solutions and we don't talk to them about product. Um, or very, you know, the idea is we bring them into the funnel and then as they come down the funnel... Um, we talk about solutions, and then the salespeople pick up and start talking about solutions. and then at some point we get to obviously um, exploring what that solution is for that customer, and that's where we get into talking about products. But from a marketing point of view now, we um, yeah, we talk much more around the customer and the customer challenges, and we do the same with schools. And you know, with all the challenges of of you know everyone in schools today is focused on better outcomes for pupils. And so that's what we've got to focus on, not. A specific product that we want to um, go out and sell them, uh, and I think you know the same in HR and payroll. Uh, it's about you know paying paying people the right time, first time, every time, uh, and and in the HR, it's very much around you know employee engagement and well being and all of the kind of issues that we have around, um, particularly now post pandemic, um, and then you know finding solutions that are going to help support them in their aims.
0: And following on from that, how do you actually ensure an aligned brand in all of those areas? again, is that even is that even possible?
1: <laughs> it's a question I asked myself a year ago when I came into this business, uh, and I still do from time to time. yeah it, it, it's an interesting one because um you, you know you, uh, uh, you can just sort of um slap an Irish name on everything and say, "Well we have an aligned brand but 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 really, how does that? kind of work and actually what we've, we've done quite a bit of work around this. And, um, I mentioned at the top of the, uh, discussion about our, um, time to grow, um, activity that we're doing right now, which is a sort of limited time, um, promotion, if you like, but it, as part of that, we actually developed a whole, uh, branding, um, around it called masters of time. Uh, and this sounds a bit kind of, you've got to think about, think superheroes, uh, and, uh, and, and all of the uh, yeah the various films and that you've seen recently around that, uh, and we've created these masters of time, and we have these these various characters who represent the different um, kind of areas that we focus on, and we've sort of using that. It sounds a bit cartoony in that, but it's it's um, we've done it in a way which we think works, and, and we're using that as a device really to kind of pull the brands together and to um, share the commonality that they have whilst also highlighting and celebrating the differences of those different areas, so the differences between finance and hR and accountancy and and education and so on um, and um, yeah, that's uh, that's something we've used and, and we're now we've we've gone really big with that. We were advertising all around the um, if you go out around the um, underground in London or in Manchester on the trams or metros and things or or listen to a lot of radio at the moment you'll hear. You'll hear the Irish masters of time. Um, so that's kind of how we've, that's a device we've used to bring the brands together, which I, I think is working. And it, it's also helping us with cross-fertilization because although I described the, the areas of the company in three different kind of um, sectors, there is obviously cross-fertilization because we sell HR to accounting practices and we sell payroll to schools. And, you know, uh, there are some accounting um products actually that we sell to SMEs uh, and so on. So again, that that sort of um, masters of time kind of branding device we've used allows us to support that with a really coherent message. Um, as I say, while celebrating the fact that there's, there's a lot of differences across the organization as well as commonalities.
0: Mm. And, you know, one thing we often see is that tech marketers seem to be Perhaps slightly further ahead of the curve when it comes to B two B marketing maturity. Um, I just wonder—is that something you've noticed personally? And if so, would you say that you know a step into tech marketing might be a good career step for any marketer looking to learn and grow? Um, I, I I think it is to a certain extent. I mean, I
1: wouldn't uh, look when I, when I was in B two B marketing in in the early nineties uh, and. I mean, I never planned to be in marketing. By the way, I started as a physicist, um, and was then a journalist, and then fell into marketing by mistake. Um, found it really interesting and kind of got into it. Um, the B two B marketing actually was the poor cousin, very much the poor cousin of consumer marketing. And you know, I, I used to I used to look at the consumer marketing and what they were doing to to try and bring some of that into into um, what we were doing. It was in the in the '90s at places like Coda, um, but. Uh, but I think you're right that I think I think it has moved on significantly. I can remember in so so in in the '90s I was bringing consumer marketing styles in. We 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 started doing adver, advertising. won I mean one lots of awards actually where um, you know which were very much consumer style as opposed to at the time B two B adverts were very heavy on text and, and light on pictures and quite you know you you had to talk about every function function in your product rather than try to create a. Some kind of aspirational uh, brand around your product. Um, but I can remember then in sort of mid two thousands, um, I was working at uh, actually it was at coda, but we we started working with Salesforce and I saw how Salesforce worked. I went over to their their place in Dublin where they were doing all this high volume inbound demand generation kind of activity and and I thought, wow, this is this is um, different this I mean they brought this over from. From the west coast you know and 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 then, then i thought this is something completely different and really interesting and i started using that in, in what we were doing um and you know then being a net who are absolute masters at this kind of really um sophisticated inbound um, demand generation i i i thought of it, it was like a machine we built this machine uh in amea which yeah you know, we picked up what they were doing in north america and, and, and replicated it here and yeah, the stuff we're doing is really sophisticated, and I think that that's what I'm trying to do here at Iris. And I do think now that, that a lot of the techniques and the the um, the the sort of stuff we're doing in in tech marketing is more advanced than other areas of marketing, other areas of B two B marketing, and even consumer. Um, and in fact, just recently in the last sort of couple of months, I, I've I've recruited a new head of digital who's come from. Consumer marketing from retail, um, and she, so so on the one hand, she has a huge understanding of really sophisticated e-commerce kind of journeys and all the stuff they do because it's very high volume and you know that they, they really understand that stuff. But she actually wanted to get into B two B marketing because she could see the sort of stuff we were doing in in, in tech marketing. I think was um, you know quite advanced and allowed her to, to take her skills that she had but develop them. And uh, so, yeah, I do think we're doing. There's a lot of opportunities in tech marketing. I think it's a really exciting place to be.
0: And uh, on that note, just for everyone listening, um, B2B marketing's very own tech conference, Martecopia, is fast approaching, um, taking place on the 23rd of March, uh, physically in London and virtually online. So this one-day hybrid conference is going to help marketers to refine their Martech strategy um, and optimize the deployment of the various solutions and platforms. Um, we've got a host of speakers, ranging from Doug Kessler at Velocity Partners, um, through to our previous podcast guest, who was uh, Dr. Christine Bailey at Passport. Um, and on top of that, you know, we've even got some of the recently announced uh, B2B tech marketing innovators, which we'll, we'll include a link to in the description as well. Um, so David, on the theme of helping marketers to refine their martes- MarTech strategy sorry, um, and optimize the deployment of their solutions and platforms, where would you suggest that marketers start you know, let's imagine someone listening has come into a chaotic business, and the mar- the marketing strategy is a, is a little on the outdated side. Let's say, um, what should their first steps be when it comes to their Martech strategy?
1: Uh, I, I feel like you're yeah, you're exactly describing where I've been over the last year. Um, I think uh, it's very much about going back to basics, and I think I've said it already, but start with the customer. Um, so you know, think about your customer, um, your your um, Kind of customer groups, the the the, the, organis- the the people you're targeting, the groups they fall into, um, and their kind of challenges and the solutions you're providing for them. Build the org structure with that in mind. So exactly as I described, I built the the, the org structure around the, around the customer. Um, and when you're doing that, build in build in flexibility because whatever org structure you get, it will always be wrong, and it will always need to change. And again, you know, over the last year, I've I've built the structure, and I've also changed it several times. Not not fundamentally, but but you know, you, you always need to kind of tweak things and respond to to, to um, what's happening in the marketplace and in your organization. And in doing that, building the the structure and the people focus on culture and getting the culture right. Then cre- you know, create the strategy and the plan for that um, for your organization. And then build or restructure, or, or in my case, restructure um, the technology to support that. So I think you know. Again, I don't think that's rocket science. I'm sure it's not going to shock anybody. But I think, uh, you know, I think you need to build it in that way, or at least think about it in that way. You know, of course, you end up having to do it often, very quickly. Or you might, you know, you can't just put everything on hold for months while you go through each of those steps. But I think, in terms of thinking about um, what you need to do and how to approach it—that's the way. And then, yeah, with the martech, it is about them building that martech to support um, the, you know, to support the organisation you've got, to support the strategy and help you deliver that, um, and to allow you to reach the customers and for the customers to um, undergo the right journey coming into your organisation um, in the way that you want them to to do and, and the way that fits most naturally for the customer.
0: Fantastic. And I've got my uh, one final question for you. And it and it uh, it refers to a conversation that was recently had within Propolis. Um, and it was about NFTs. And it was basically about, you know, what is their role? You know, do, do they have a, a place in B2B? Or if they do, is it is it not going to be relevant for a couple of years? I don't know, really. It's, it's quite an open question. But do you think that NFTs, sh- uh, sorry, marketers should be jumping on NFTs now um, before they get left behind. Or do you think it's just a case of the emperor's new clothes? Um,
1: I think re- I think it's a really interesting area. Um, whole NFTs and also a little wider around crypto and all of that. Um, but it, but how that applies directly to marketing, I think I wouldn't be. I wouldn't be betting your. I wouldn't be betting your marketing budget on on nfts but i think you know all of us in especially in tech marketing i think we'll always try to leave a little bit of budget and a little bit of headspace to um innovation and kind of fiddling with what's new and trying to work out is that you know could that could that have a role and so i would say yeah by all means have a play with it i'll be perfectly honest it's not something i've looked at right now for marketing um but i can kind of see there might be something there so it might be worth having a sort of dipping a toe in there um, as i said the, the areas of crypto at the moment cryptocurrency crypto assets that at the moment that's interesting for us partly from a customer point of view again so our customers our customers who are accountants for example are seeing increasingly being asked about that you know they have customers who are maybe trading in crypto currencies and crypto assets and the taxation requirements and all of that around that is actually quite complicated so we are um, engaging, it's interesting, we've built a community of, of accountants, one of the things I did coming in at the Accountancy Club we built which is a, a big community of accountants, nothing to do with us selling our products, it's just bringing them together to discuss um, issues a bit like propolis I guess in, in your organisation And um, and that's where we started hearing about crypto um so we're now looking at how we develop our products to support those crypto taxation requirements and so on but also with our payroll hat on there are actually in some organizations and this is very early but it's happening people are wanting to explore things like paying people in crypto um and how could you do that through a payroll system and how would that work you know how would you record that how would you allow taxation around that and so um you know so so from that point of view we are Um, kind of getting involved in that. There was a little bit of discussion around NFTs. I know this is not entirely what you're talking about, but the NFT impact around for accountants, again, in terms of that taxation side as well. So we are having to look at it from that point of view. Um, So it's definitely having an impact on business. And and like even six months ago, I was a bit cynical as to how long that would be until it had an impact, but it's actually having an impact right now on, on customer demand. So in terms of, you know, NFTs role in marketing, I'm, not, I'm a bit skeptical right now that it's going to have a lot, but ask me in six months' time, could all have changed. So yeah, definitely um, worth keeping an eye on. And as I say, if you, can, if you can afford to have a bit of a play with it on the side and work out what you could do with it. I'm sure there's some great innovative, creative things you could do with it right now. Um, I don't think it'll change the world, but it might give you a bit of a, an edge and create some exciting and interesting campaigns or, or differentiation points.
0: Fantastic, David. I think we'll um, we'll leave it there. So thank you very much for joining me today. Um, just a note to our audience, um, if you want to listen to any more of our podcasts, just head to b2bmarketing.net slash podcasts. Um, and then obviously, like I say, in the description, we've got links to Propolis, um, the tech innovators, um, and Martech Martechopia as well, which as a, as a reminder is on the 23rd of March. So um, fast approaching. David, thank you very much. And uh, that's all from us. Bye-bye. Thank
1: you. Bye now.